I was thinking that the reason people wouldn't uh, want to uh, sign on and be members of our Patreon was that, contrary to what you were saying, Ian, I, I don't think that they would uh, appreciate seeing how much money is coming in and increasing numbers. I think that I, I assume that people have a sort of secret desire to see us fail. Wow. You know? That's <laughs> It's a very sinister reading of uh, the audience and uh, uh, our listeners at large. I, I don't think that it's a conscious thing, but I think subconsciously they want to see us. They don't want to see Jokerman win. Wow. They don't want to see us win, you know. <laughs> and so this is why I, I felt conflicted about, you know, just us showing to the public right. the skyrocketing numbers, just the numbers that are just going to the moon i think it's yeah i think it's more of a the price of love is going up sort of thing here so like people see the price of jokerman podcast going up right they want to be they want to get on that they want to get on that train they want to help that's it go a, up it's a really uh generous generous and uh optimistic approach uh, you're the more of the glass half full one mm-hmm. ian and i evan sometimes i'm more the glass is not full type of guy. I'm the one who says it's not full. Right. My glass is literally full right now. Your glass is looking pretty empty. Well, I didn't put that much in it. Mm. So that's, where does that fall into the truism? <laughs> <laughs> what if you just don't put that much? Uh, what if you got two fingers in this glass? I think we're probably both drinking about the same amount of alcohol. Mine's just mostly filled with club soda. Um, Where? Yeah, mine's just has ice. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm Evan, by the way. I guess I should have said that. But, um, I uh, welcome you to Jokerman Podcast. Welcome. Once more. Here we are. Here we are on the continent. What do you mean? On the continent? That's what they call it. Europe. They call it the continent. Who calls it the continent? It's just what like fancy pants people call it. I'm I'm going to the continent. Like like if you're a British, you know, kind of sicko, you say like, I'm going to the continent this weekend. And you 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 know you mm. take the train under the uh, under the channel, and then you then you wind up in Paris, and maybe okay. you travel backwards in time a uh, hundred and uh, how many years? A hundred and three, hundred and two years. I can't yeah, well, I can't do 19, the math. Nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, <laughs> twenty-one. But but no, no it's twenty-two. Yeah, yeah one hundred three years. Oh, it's twenty. <laughs> yeah, twenty twenty-two. <laughs> Are you living? You're living in the past, man. Mm, yeah. Uh, it's Paris 1919, living... folks. Yeah, it's 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 Paris 1919. John Cale's 1973. Uh, do we call it masterpiece? I'd call it 
I think I would. You, you could call it a. I think I would call masterpiece. Opus. I think that's where you get to use the word opus. I don't know about right opus. Now. Opus seems like opus. I feel like opus is like big, lengthy, mm. kind of like enormous, like world shaking sort of thing. And for all its strengths, Paris nineteen nineteen is like thirty one minutes, thirty two minutes, something like that. It's it's pretty snappy. Yeah. Yeah, but it, uh, does an opus mean that it's literally long, or does it just mean that it's um, it's it's got uh, half? That's a good question. You know? Well, is it about density or is it about girth? No, some questions are just we're never going to get the answer to. There's no way for us to figure that out. Well, then I guess we can just give up uh, <laughs> today. Ah, uh, man. Ah. Uh. Yeah, what do you, this is a pretty good record, I would say. Pretty it's good, most, pretty good. If you know a John Kill record and you're like a passive, I mean, if you're just like not like a big John Kill fan, you probably know this one or you have heard stuff from it. If you're going to know one, this is the one, yeah. Or, or Fear, maybe, but I feel like that record has kind of, I feel like the price of Fear has gone up no. lately. You know, like it's it shows up, the Spotify algorithm really likes Fear is fear popular on Spotify? I feel like you listen to any, uh, maybe it's just the algorithm for me, feeding me what I want to hear. But uh, if you put on like any kind of early alternative, like any anything like Eno or like Talking Heads or like anything like that, no, you'll you'll get Fear is a Man's Best Friend thrown in there or like Barracuda. Yeah, interesting. Bar- Barracuda is number three on his like most popular uh, stream yeah. songs. Paris nineteen nineteen, the song number two, uh, and it has about three times. It has sixteen million plays. Paris nineteen nineteen. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. Barracuda's got about five. Um, although out of the top ten, three more. So fully four of the top ten are all Fear songs. So I guess mm-hmm. I think that might yeah, be fears, that might be it. Like fears, Fear the album is maybe yeah. more of a presence, but the single song Paris, uh, which we'll get to, is uh, is maybe one of his maybe his most well known song. So I first heard this record just in the context of certain songs being on this really good compilation of John Cale material called seducing down the door Mm -hmm. are you familiar Mm -hmm. yeah that was like uh an early sort of key for me to get into uh john kale it's a really good compilation and it features i think it maybe even starts with child's christmas in wales that's a good first you know great way to start a record so might as well yeah, this was probably my, I think, I think this was, it was either this or violence were like the one, the one that really got me into Kale. And I even remember it. It was like, it was straight from like, uh, I was listening to Loaded a ton because I had left that uh, laboring under the belief that Loaded was a fake Velvet Underground record. I'm going to put a pin in that conversation. Uh, laboring I, under the belief that it was a fake laboring under the mean? false belief that loaded didn't really count compared to the other three oh, Velvet Underground well I, you you felt that way at one point at one point I was I was so much younger then um, yeah well I I'm older than you and I know better <laughs> um loaded uh violence and um and Paris and Coney Island Baby I think all four of those records like kind of are are tied together and as this like four-headed like hydra of just like great vibes from like I don't know 11 years ago for me 12 years ago for me at this point Um, God, I I didn't have time to think about what my four-headed monster hydra beast would be no 
No, I mean, I guess if half of them have to be John and half are, are Lou. Sure. Is that the rules? Sure. I mean, it'd probably be Fear and um, and gee, uh, songs for Drella, mm-hmm. and um, I think uh, for for John uh, for Lou, it'd probably be like the Blue Mask, Blue Mask and yeah. um, and uh, gosh, actually, like Set the Twilight Reeling is a big one for me. That was one of your. I'm I'm talking about this not like, an early, early. Yeah, I'm one, talking about this is it, like the first kind of wave of what really, or I mean, the first like. Kind of the the second wave of what got me, and once I was past right. the Velvet stuff, once I was past Transformer, like this was when I really started to kind of get my feet into the deep end. Yeah, I, I think that I was really um, pretty impressed by uh, Legendary Hearts. Mm. Interesting. Uh, That's not I one like, that people that that one's. I feel like Legendary Hearts kind of flies under the radar in terms of the Lou discography. It does. It does. It's it's really good though. Yeah, it's great. Um. Anyways. Oh, I mean, actually, what am I saying? It's fucking Street Hassle. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. Street Hassle by far is like the one that uh made me like really want to listen to everything. I feel like Street Hassle is kind of like Lou's desire in some ways. No, it's it's his it's his uh, <laughs> you just don't want to Street agree. Legal. No, it's it's, street I don't legal. think it is a Street Legal because Street Legal was I don't know. We'll we'll get to this in the future, but Street Legal was sort of you know obviously critically reviled at the time. I guess it is. Back. His, it's Lou's desire. Yeah, I Street guess. Hassle was obvious. I feel like Street Hassle was really kind of seen as like Lou taking a big step forward, at least critically at the time, uh, the same way that uh, you know Desire did. And yeah, but people people just talk about the song itself. Like they don't really when they talk about Street Hassle, you don't really hear people talking about dirt, right? Or or I want to be black. No. Or, uh, <laughs> There's a good reason that they don't talk about that one. Yeah, well, it's it's satire. No, yeah, that's what they satire. say. Uh, we'll have plenty of time to get to those conversations coming up. Stick with yeah, us. Yeah, we got to talk about Paris 1919. Uh, but before we do, I just want to point out that when we talked about Transformer, we did not talk about the cover, which is fine. Um, that's right. We also didn't give it a star rating. I realized at the end of it. Hey, whatever. It's it's Transformer. Wow. It's good, you know. Everyone likes it. It doesn't even whatever. deserve a star rating. I mean, it's just maybe it would be three stars to do. Yeah, sure, three. Um, should we talk about the cover of Paris? Yeah, might as well. Um, Great cover. Well, I always thought that the, the text there on top, mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. the white, it looks like chocolate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? It looks like drippy chocolate. I guess I've always thought of that as more kind of like a purple kind purple. of color. Yeah. Then you know, brown. And now I, I mean, it, it's brown. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you look at it and it and it looks kind of brown. Um, you look at it. It feels it's, it's brown. It feels purple to me. It, um, it has the the emotional valence of purple, even though it visually looks brown. <laughs> sure. Sure. Do you know what I mean? There's, yeah, I mean, I guess, but you know, I yeah, sure. I'll get. I'll just let you have that one. Thank you. Sometimes um, you just got to say yes. Yes, yes, and yeah. well, you know what that font uh, setting aside the color. You know what that font is, right? Well, it looks like it's it's not the it's not the it would tell me, and maybe I'm right. It's the font from the original signs of the Metropolitan the Paris Metro. That's right, yeah. exactly. Yes. Uh, okay. Which it's not an exact replica, but it's clearly kind of aping. It's close. Yeah, aping yeah. that, taking that off. Um, so uh, if anyone out there, we'll post a picture about the, about this online somewhere. But uh, anyone out there, go look it up. Petch, uh, Petch, 
Paris, Metro, Metropolitan, uh, the like Art Nouveau kind of turn of the century uh, look um, is uh, is clearly what he's going for with that font, and obviously that extends to the rest of the record. Also, his beautiful, brilliant white suit. He looks swag as hell. Yeah, he looks really good. Um, white on white on white. He's got really a really weird haircut, though. I don't actually like that haircut. He so much, he kind of has had a lot of weird haircuts here at the beginning of this. At whole the thing. early days, yeah, John has a strange haircut. He, he go. I also noticed, like, I was looking at pictures of him recently, just for like you know Instagram uh, material. He might be mm-hmm. the only person I've ever seen, and not at this moment in time, but later on and up until today, might be the only person I've ever seen who can pull off the soul patch, like the John Cale my, soul my patch. My dad has one sometimes. Does it? He, I just met him recently. He didn't have a soul patch recently, did he? No, but he's had one for like, he'll have one sometimes. Okay, that's cool. I like the inspired I like by John, John Cale. Cale. <laughs> Probably not, but I like John Cale's soul patch. Yes, as me well. too. It is swag as hell. But it it's cool. it's a very difficult facial hair look to pull off. It it's it's not for the faint of heart. That's a black diamond type of facial hair. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, but he also had like pink hair. Also cool. Yeah, as like a seventy year old man. Your dad? No, no. Kidding. Uh, should we talk about the music? Yeah. Hopefully we'll just play the actual song. (laughs) Uh, Man. Yeah, this is great. What a great way to start a record. It's so good. It's so good. Folks. I don't know. Yeah, come on. I mean, this is going to be one of those ones where it's just kind of more about talking about uh, how it makes us feel. Yes. Why we like the way it is. More about how it is for us rather than going deep into the minutia of its meaning because that would probably be hard. Yeah, I mean, you know what I'm saying? I think I, I think what you're saying is, that, and there's no shame in this. This is a vibes record. Like, it, it, there's there's you just this, put it yeah. on and, and you let it roll and you sink into it like a warm bath. Like you you can you can really pour over this kind of stuff. And I think his lyricism, like literally just the words that he's using and and the way they're arranged, is remarkable here in many regards. Yeah, I mean, it is amazing. And I think as as poetry, it's really great, but it's not. He's just going. The music for a is mood. so captivating that, like, I, I really every time I listen to it, try as I might to really dive into the lyrics, I end up just being so 
stoked about how it sounds. Yeah, yeah that it's I not forget. it's not really a lyric a lyrics record in terms of like really pouring over this stuff and making like a deep emotional connection with it for me at least. Uh, with mistletoe yeah. and candle green to Halloween we go. Ten murdered yeah. oranges bled on board ship lend comedy to shame. I mean that's that's some crazy shit right there. I mean there I do love off. those but like, lyrics. I, the imagery is so strong right. on this. Um, seducing down the door. Seducing down the doors. Great. It line. comes from this. Such a good line. Yeah. So good. The Hallelujah crowds. I like that it says Halloween. Like this is not. You know, it's a cr- Christmas song ostensibly. Child's Christmas in Wales, named after Dylan Thomas. Yes. Yeah. Uh, not the. F- well, I guess this is. Um, yeah. Not. I was gonna say not the first. Not the last. Dylan Thomas. Uh, no, it's not reference or uh, or title. Uh, he made a still. whole album. Yeah, we'll get there. Words for the dying. Um, but uh, clearly an inspiration for John Cale, just like he was an inspiration for... What? Oh. Someone else? What? Dylan? Someone's... Who was it? Oh, you mean Dylan. <laughs> Dylan well, well uh, No, I thought you meant John Cale. No, but actually, Dylan would, of course, like, be like, well, I didn't really care about Right, Dylan well, that's Tom. what he says in fucking Chronicles. It, uh, yeah. People think I took my name from Dylan Thomas, but really it was just about the name Bob yeah. Dylan and let, the way it looked on a page. Let them think that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's Bob for right. you. Um, anyways, uh, Child's Christmas in Wales. I mean, it's really just... Sebastopolidronopolis. God, so good. Uh, apparently, uh, both of those cities are uh, uh, related to military history, according to Genius here. Um, but again, like... Sebastopol. I, Sebastopol. Shouts out to Sebastopol. Probably not Sebastopol, California, where yeah. I just was a couple weeks ago. Very beautiful country up there. Hope to make it out someday. Yeah, you'll like it. Good wine. Yeah. Seems very pretty. It is very pretty. A little hot, but, you know, I guess coming from Los Angeles is not that hot. Coming from... Seems very hot. Yeah. Coming from San Francisco, everything's hot. Um, yeah, I mean, it's this is just such an inspiring... Like, right off the bat, just the, the way this record sounds, right? Like, I, I think that, like, the whole kind of guiding idea behind this was, like... Let's look at vintage violence, right? Because this is a pop record. There's no question about it coming off of Anthrax yeah, and yeah, Academy. Totally. Like, he's back. He's back in the pop ship. He's back in the pop chair. Yeah. And he's thinking this time, like, what if we made the whole record out of Big White Cloud and get <laughs> yeah, into Bible? <laughs> why don't they make the whole record out of Big White Cloud? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you know what? It's a fucking great idea because yeah, Big White Cloud yeah, fucking rocks and every song on this record does too. Uh, it's yeah. just got this enormous kind of feeling. Um, these these like mercurial baroque lyrics, obviously, um, that that give you a lot to chew on over time, and yet at the same at the same moment are relatively simple and easy to grok. Um, and you just like just even the song titles, like fucking yeah, Andalusia, Child's Christmas, Child's Christmas uh, in Wales. I just like love. He- it's you know, it's a weird thing. It's that, so good. I don't. The, this reminds me of there's there's stuff that came before it. That it reminds me of. And then there's certain thing, it, one certain thing in particular that a lot of the songs on here really struck me as like being the um, sort of origin place mm-hmm. of, of someone else's mm-hmm. sound. But as far as the, the thing it reminds me of that came before it, I think about like heroes and villains when I hear Child's Christmas in Wales. Interesting, yeah. I, I can kind of say that. It's kind of got... It's a similar feel, or like certain other Brian Wilson uh, compositions that are these big, sprawling uh, sort of character pieces about like um, 
I mean, not character in a literal sense, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Have these set piece songs right, that are right. kind of storybook like, or have this like uh, magical realism. Yeah, I do. I do see some like Van Dyke Parks DNA in the oh, in totally. the lyrics yeah. here in particular, right? The kind of like, um, um, like really nimble phrasing, right? Um, and and the way that some of the sentences and lines don't necessarily like they're not being written to make like literal sense on a page, right? But it makes more sense when you just hear him pronouncing it. Um, like I always think of uh, the line from Surf's Up, right? Uh, a hall, uh, hall a costly bow, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and obviously, when you look at that on the page, it's like H uh, A L L space uh, C O S T L Y. Um, and, but when you hear him pronounce it in the song, it sounds like he's saying Holocaust. The music hall, the costly bow. The music all is lost for now. That doesn't even make any sense, you know, like like factually, if you're listening to it in the song, but just like the sensation that that evokes within you as the listener, like that's the idea, that's what they're going for there. And I, and I get some of that same stuff here um, lyrically on this record. And then also, obviously, yeah, I think the You look at Song Cycle, like the cover of Song Cycle by Van Dyke Parks from 1967, and then you look crossed. at John Cale, Paris, 1919. <laughs> like, look, look at that. Just look at them side by side. Yeah. It is kind of like a, that's a genre that is, you know, this is another huge uh, entry into, I guess you could loosely call it that genre of like chamber pop genius guy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Totally. <laughs> He's uh yeah, I mean, there's not that many of those, but I mean. We got to do some Van Dyke Parks one day. We really should. Yeah. Uh, but th that might be a good, uh, good. That might, well, it might be a good idea to do an entire series on, uh, we uh, we might we might have a reason to to come to Van Dyke Parks at some point in the future. Um, Child's Christmas in Wales, side one, track yeah. one. No better way to so, start it off. So pretty, Perfect. it's so good. I mean that high pitched wail and yeah. I just you know you gotta love how how willing he is to just go for it again in terms of just like you know he made violence that was an amazing pop record vintage and then, violence yeah. And then the next two records are just completely off the map in terms of commerciality. Uh, and, and now he's just like back at it like he didn't even miss a step here. Like this is, and I think that's really like that juxtaposition, this journey that we're already seeing in these first couple John records. Like that's, that's what's so great about the guy. That's why you got to love him is he can just swing from one side of the continuum to the other. No, you know, without a problem, it feels totally natural both directions that he's going. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's wild. It's crazy. It's it's wild. He's a wild and crazy guy. Wild and crazy guy. Yeah. <laughs> Next uh, song, Hanky Panky Know How. What a, what a title. title. <laughs> what a fucking yeah. Uh, I feel like that's gonna be a new uh, a new refrain here. What a title. At least with John. What does hanky panky know how mean to you? Well, we know what hanky panky means. Do we? Do we? No. What do you mean? Don't you don't know. know what that means? Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm just confirming. No. You know. No. You know what it means. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm going to let that, uh, just like Michael uh, doing the peace sign, <laughs> I'm glad that people can't see what you're doing. <laughs> um, you know. He's making uh, lewd uh, gestures, folks. Know how, though. It's not happening. You know, if is you that, were. <laughs> is that, so is that what it is? Well, know how. Know how? It's not spelled like K-N-O-W. Look, the lyrics really <laughs> seem to have nothing to do with this title in a way. Like, uh, every, what what do we have uh, lyrically? We've got I'm if the sashing of the gentleman gives you grievance now and then, what's needed are some memories of planing of planing lakes. Yes, those planing lakes will surely calm you down. Um. Is he saying that if you're horny, just think of a lake? I guess so, yeah. If you're yeah, if you're about to bust, you know, you just think of a nice, cool, placid body of water, and that'll give you another couple seconds. Well, he might be talking to a woman, or he might be talking to a, a, a gay man. Sashaying of gentlemen. Of the gentleman. <laughs> if it gives you grievance, like, like uh, that could be sort of a clever way of saying, like, uh, you know, gives you trouble, like, uh, what's the... What's the term, you know, sort of gives you a, upsets your apple cart. Mm. <laughs> upsets um, your, that was not the term that I thought you were going to go for there. <laughs> um, you know, gets you uh, hot under the collar. That's a very theme time radio hour term. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you just think of a lake, you know, yeah. but you, you could, yeah, you could also just. There is for what it's worth, uh, just on the note of this and also kind of extending from Transformer, which was the last one we recorded when you hear this, um, there is sort of a, a, a thread of this kind of gender bending, you know, trans something or other that comes out most on Burned Out Affair. Maybe we'll get to that in a little bit, but that's the outtake on this record uh, that didn't make the cut but was released on the uh, the remastered version from 2006 or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But he's he's directly addressing uh, um, one of the lines in there is uh, everything was fine when all the boys were girls and singing was the natural thing to do. But when men become women, that old thrills not there, just some tired old dolls with their burned out affairs. So same way we were talking about with uh, Transformer last time, maybe Lou responding mm-hmm. to what John was doing. You know, maybe he's got Transformer on the mind and that uh, you know kind of glam androgynous shit that he was into. Maybe. It could just be a weird metaphor. He's like into those. Yeah, could be. Uh, Hanky Panky Know How is just such a amazing feeling listening to this song. Yeah, it's I such s- a... You don't even care what the lyrics are. Might as well are. be another I mean, language. Again. Yeah, seriously. Um, there's a, <laughs> I love I love the, the line about the elephant. There's a name for everything and for elephants that sing to keep the cows that agriculture won't allow... Like that is real. Like going back to the Van Dyke Parks thing. Like that is really like what the fuck yeah. is he talking about there? But just hearing him say that and the way that he's singing it. such a measured kind of um, sweet really striking vocal on this one I just then religion at my door oh god and I never answer panic knocking falling down the stairs upon the law what law what law 
yeah and that and it's the way that these come out when he sings them it's a pretty brief lyric too it's it's not yeah the song's less than three minutes long it feels enormous yeah it really does it's like 10 pounds of art in a five pound bag yeah I'm always kind of struck when I look at like the the time um, you know the time stamps for each of these songs on here like each of these songs feel like just like totally enormous fleshed out orchestral works and they're all like three minutes long three and a half minutes yeah it's wild do you know that he didn't even uh, intend initially for there to be uh, an orchestra on this album no no apparently not and it was kind of um an afterthought that or it was something that kind of came about uh as they went he realized that that could be done and they were able to spend a lot of time sort of adding them and making them uh, really work, mm. adding these uh, overdubs, I think, a lot of them. It's the uh, the UCLA uh, Orchestra, my uh, yeah, well, my old, my old was, alma mater. I forgot that you went there, yeah. UCLA, he, uh, fight, fight, fight. He was in Los Angeles. Hey, it's a Los Angeles John record. Kale. I love that. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that amazing? <laughs> it's 1919 is a Los Angeles record. So, actually, I get to feel like right now in Los Angeles, like... Uh, this isn't one of those moments where I'm going to be like, oh, I wish I was in New York where I, with the gritty uh, Lou Reed uh, music of New York. Mm-hmm. This is one where I get to just be glad that I'm in sunny California. Sunny California. Yeah, honestly, it, it kind of makes sense thinking that this is a Los Angeles. Like I see I see like some Synanon kind of vibes here, just like people like kind of like hopped up on herbal supplements and caffeine and benzos and just like pretending that they were living a hundred years ago, like in post world war one splendor in, uh, in Paris. Yeah. Well, it's a very European record, something that we should talk about. The whole record is full of allusions and references to Europe. And I have continent. to confess. Uh, yeah. The continent. <laughs> yeah. Technically that's what it, yeah. It's the continent, it's continent. of Europe. Yeah. Sure. So uh, whatever I like to, when I say the continent, you know what I'm thinking of? Mm. America. Wow. <laughs> Jingoistic. Yeah. What, oh, that's jingoistic. <laughs> yeah. It's because I'm, uh, it's no, but my point being is that I don't know that much about Europe. Uh, so I actually, uh, you know, relative to how much I might, uh, I feel like John Cale knows much more about Europe than I do. Yes. So, uh, listening to this record and talking about it is, I think a, I'm, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I thought, a bit daunting because there's so much that feels like uh, I'm kind of nodding my head listening to the, how be- pretty and beautiful the songs are. And I'm like, oh, yeah, John, I I know what you're uh, sure. I, I feel your brother. Where, <laughs> I, I feel your brother when you're in Sebastopol and Adrianapolis. That's and right. The, and, the, and oh, yeah, like when you're a child and you're having Christmas in Wales. Yeah. And, or when you're sailing through, uh, or not sailing, but uh, you're on a nice uh, steam locomotive through the endless plains of fortune. Yeah, I mean, when he's singing on Hanky Panky Know How, it's sort of like, I mean, just look at him on the cover there. It's like, I, I, you have to do some real, uh, you either have to relax and just be like, wow, that sounds real neat. That sounds cool. Like with a hay, uh, a piece of hay sticking out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Um or you uh, can can try to imagine yourself as a kind of aristocratic European prince and be like, ah, oh, yes, John, I too understand 
what the, what you mean. <laughs> I do I do know what you mean. And you sip on your um little glass of absinthe with the little sugar cube right. or whatever the fuck. Yeah. I'm for my part, I'm a big uh, you know, World War One nut uh sort are of you, guy. Wait, you are? Yeah, I'm like a uh, big Oh, thank God! Yeah. Say what this is about. Well, no, I mean it's just it it uh, it's a very romantic uh, kind of time. Not the war itself, obviously. It was one of the greatest uh, tragedies in uh, <laughs> the history of the entire species. See, um, you don't sound like so much of a World War One nut because I I knew that. Yeah, uh, but just that whole kind of like era in time, and you know the uh, you know I'm a, I'm a uh, it, it's embarrassing to admit, but uh, you know a. a Hemingway fan. Don't tell anyone. Why is that embarrassing? Um, you know, it's just sort of, I guess it's more embarrassing in the MFA scene that uh, I have my regrettable uh, roots eh, in. Um, I think that he, people, uh, I think he's pretty famous. People like him. Yeah. Anyways, that whole world and, and moment in time is just very sort of striking to me. Uh, and so just like the concept of, of this, honestly, concept record. Uh, to pick is up on a, a... I guess... I think it I is. I guess it's a concept record. Um, a, yeah. It, well... It's just it's very on, like it's very it's very satisfying to me like this I'm I'm living in a whole world and moment in time that I want to when I listen to this record and on top of that it just sounds fucking amazing. Paris 1919. Uh, to reference to the uh, well, what happened in Paris in, in 1919 where the the Versailles Peace Conference uh, took place. Yes, it's where the Germans and uh, the French met to. Uh, well, I guess actually the Germans and the French and the Italians and the Americans and the British met to end World War One with uh, a very punitive peace treaty, yeah. uh, forcing reparations onto the uh, nascent Weimar Republic. Right, and uh, it kind of uh, created this the conditions for so much of what we understand about the 20th century after that point, um, and especially in, in terms of what would become of, of art uh, in the wake of World War One, with Dadaism and Surrealism and these revolutionary movements, which kind of uh, came definitely out of the the, the shockwave, the, uh, the like emotional crater of World War One. Yeah, it's the lost generation, you know, there in Paris at this moment in time. Whether it's from the you know the painting, uh, obviously, or the literature. Um, or even you know some of the the nascent film work uh, as well, but really when you think about this, it's you know it's the the, the painting and, and the literature for the most part. Uh, but it, it is like one of the you know just it, it's it's quote unquote you know basic in some regards. It's very easy to, to fall in love with this as a you know twenty one year old guy. Uh, but there's a reason that people continue to fall in love with it up until this day because it's just amazing shit. Whether you're looking at um, you know Hemingway as a uh, as a writer or uh, Picasso as a painter. I think you could say it's sort of the the origin of John Cale's approach to art is uh, that period of time. You know that those things erupted, and uh, really there is no avant garde as we understand it without that. It's sure. the thing that he grew to. He grew up loving all of the, the all of this art that came from that uh, period of time. This specific moment, the end of World War One, the beginning of a new sort of a world that had lost its innocence, but was also kind of newly innocent in its own way because of this, uh, in the horrors of, of world war one sort of, they, it's a trauma that also unlocked new possibilities and, uh, a sense of discovery. Yeah. It allowed which folks I mean, to sort of, you know, kind of 
just throw caution to the wind and say, fuck it, why not? You know, if life is this yeah. cheap, if if I could just be, you know, domed on the battlefield by a fucking rifle from a thousand meters away tomorrow, might as well, you know, not worry about it and, you know, just do whatever I want to today. It caused people to think outside the box creatively. So, I mean, Paris 1919, I think symbolically as a title, is like a really strong and uh, impressive uh it, it it makes perfect sense as a choice for for John Cale to like have a sort of poetic symbol for his uh his beginning to his basically the beginning of his real solo work. Yeah, yeah. You can think of Paris nineteen nineteen this moment in place and time, right? As sort of like the birth of modernism in many yeah. ways uh, in it's, in in whatever artistic field that you uh, want to think about. And John Cale himself at this moment in time, or up until this moment in time, has been carrying on the kind of legacy of the modernists. I kind of love that it's called that too, in reference to the peace treaties uh, at Versailles, which you know, yeah, famously punitive had their own very dark uh, repercussions uh, for the world, especially for Germany. A fella went by the name of Adolf Hitler. This guy, there's a picture of him. Adolf Hitler, very compelling kind of a figure. Odd-looking duck, but there's something about his eyes. Hypnotic. He was a decorated veteran of World War I, <laughs> and he joined the world... Hold the fort. He hated Jews. I wonder, I mean, is he sort of making an allusion to, like, the Velvet Underground as as the war? And this is like the post-war wow. uh, you're, Reformation. <laughs> you're really reading into that. With that is one. he? I, you tell me. <laughs> or at least this, like, uh, it's sort of the, this Reformation post-chaotic uh, Does that make period. Lou Hitler? <laughs> Uh, you know, it may be make no, it doesn't because World War One didn't have Hitler. Uh, I, well, Hitler did fight in World War One. Okay, but he, yeah, he, that does not. That's not the same. Okay, I just mean that this, uh, you know, the lawless period, the sort of eruption of violence or energy that uh, provoked, uh, at least maybe from the perspective of uh, John Cale, uh, at this point, a a new approach mm. becoming necessary. Interesting. Why not? It's fun to think about. Why not? Why not? Fuck it. Um, the Endless Plane of Fortune. Taylor said, mm -hmm. old Taylor meant to cry, oh my. Field Marshal meant, Field Marshal went away again. Look out below the tides, lean heavily like wine, we're all innocent in spite of you and me. Mm. Some of the words in this in this song again, like again, just like the the fucking like like connotations that they bring, like hearing him say, Segovia watched gendarmerie and all. That's all mm -hmm. the radio man, a 
Amanda, did you choose your tune? She walked away in time. She walked a crooked line so gracefully. She turned her head and smiled away. Like there's, like I feel there's like a there's a short story kind of element, uh, um, a sense to a lot of this songwriting where like you you're just getting snatches, little glimpses of this world that he has in his mind, and uh, and by him just sketching out like the most basic kind of um, uh, smallest little corner of this world but giving you such strong kind of sensational glimpses of it with the language that he's using it allows you to build out this like whole fucking universe in your own mind I, I just, it's just so satisfying to me to listen to and think about in my mind yeah I, I think there's a quote uh, that uh, John said of, of the record that it was like a nice way the nicest way to say something Ugly. Interesting. Oh, yeah, I see this here. Kale described the record as, an, as, quote, an example of the nicest way of saying something ugly uh, right. with regards to, yeah, this moment in time. Um, you know, he's, he's painting a very kind of beautiful and striking portrait of this moment in time that was directly responsible for, you know, the greatest tragedy of the 20th century. Well, it's, it's uh, a time when it's almost... It's so hard not to romanticize if you really delve into because it's so it is beautiful yeah. to look at. I mean, even the ugliest things of the past, you know, of this time. There's, I think, to a poet like John, it, it's it's not lost on him that there's also this aesthetic ambition that was like so different. So like this old world sense of a beauty that was sort of a, a common theme right. uh, visually and, and socially. And um, it, it was something that was lost, but it, it is something that uh, I think he still has kind of this like secret or not so secret reverence for. Totally. And it comes across in this record um, as I think his reverence for that, for just that old world, yeah, I think if you're looking at this kind of record and this whole concept uh, through sort of a critical lens, uh, you could you could think of this as like a you know nostalgia trap uh, on on John's part. Um, if you just take it at face value, you know the title, look how pretty it is. He's dressed up in his little outfit on the cover and stuff like that. But yeah. I think when you think about like that that quote that you just mentioned, right, the nicest way possible of saying something ugly, I think there's a lot more kind of beneath the surface and. That, that manicured quality to it, which like that is the word to describe this record. If there is a word, it's manicured. Um, uh, sort of masks or hides this really sort of, um, you know, uh, like critical um, uh, reading of this moment in time and these forces that conspired to, again, like just like completely throw the entire axis of human history and development off kilter permanently in some regards like there hasn't been any recovery since it's all been it's been all downhill since 1914 in some regards um and uh and so this like this nostalgia that it might appear to be this mourning of this old world is in fact i think like um you it's know a, there's an element of him saying like good riddance like you know it it, it deserved to die that he's donning the costume of the old world to give it a sort of um send off yeah put it out of um, its misery yeah, but he's also just kind of acknowledging the the ways in which we're still trapped in that old world. Right. That just because the, it looks different now, um, and it it's not as glamorous anymore. Uh, no, you don't that think. old <laughs> you world don't think? charm. Well, 
the buildings look different. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's, yeah. But he, there's all those guys on that, uh, Twitter that uh, want all the buildings to look like they did in 1875 right, right. or whatever. Those, those, <laughs> the return those, uh, guys. Yeah. The, yeah. Well, uh, the it, there's there's a kind of um, I don't know Mark Fisher type um, critique that he I think does have uh, that sort of comes through the endless plane of fortune. It's kind of like, um, and that's a heavy title, you know, it's sort of, it to me implies this sort of wasteland of, um, continued success in quotes. Right. But, um, yeah. I mean, I think there's an element of irony in that title, yeah. right? The endless plane of fortune. Plane of, yeah. Like it's not, it's not going to be endless, buddy. It's, uh, <laughs> there, there is, there is an end to that somewhere. Uh, and uh, and once you reach it, you're gonna you're gonna find some find some misfortune, some trouble for yourself. Well, I, I you could look at it that way. Or you could look at it as the sort of just an infinite abyss. It's just like you uh, you're on an endless plane. You're never gonna arrive anywhere. You're just kind of wandering forever. Right. Um. Really, kind of heavy, uh, heavy foreboding scent yeah towards the end the way that those horns kind of creep up on you and like kind of like they really kind of get in over your shoulders and like into your ears by the end of it it's a really kind of unsettling ending to this song record in in contrast to like perfect day and uh, makeup or something right like you know the the more like orchestral you know quote-unquote manicured songs on transformer and and the way that this whole album just kind of lives in that world and it it sounds so natural and clear and easy on paris uh instead of appearing as these kind of like left field like moments of inspiration the way that um, the way that they do on the Lou record. Well, I think on the Lou record, yeah, they they don't have this universal quality. Like we talked about on the Transformer episode about how trans Transformer with Lou is very much based upon these individual people and stories and scenes in New York that he was privy to and part of. If you hear makeup um, or um, or um, even vicious to some degree, like it, it, some of these songs sound like. Oh, like someone's doing something with Lou Reed here. Like this doesn't feel like just natural kind of like a Lou Reed kind of record, the way that Lou Reed would yeah. make it by himself. And right. you know, we kind of know that based on the fact that Bowie and Mick Ronson were, were, you know, such strong creative influences. And we also know that based on some of the interviews that Lou gave leading up to Berlin, which we'll get to in the next episode. But this um, sounds like pure John. Exactly. This just said like this is John and John alone. Like he is clearly like 100% of the motivating force behind the sound of the record, the lyrics of the record, the concept of the record, like the man is just in, I think I've said it before already, but like he's just, a, he's in complete command of everything uh, at this moment in time. Not to downplay the individual, uh, the individual work of, of the musicians who played on it, but he, I feel, you get the feeling that John was the one who picked them because he knew they could do the thing. 
that he wanted. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, I, I don't think there's anything like wrong or incorrect in saying like like I think John was just like a more confident and um, commanding artistic presence than Lou was at this moment in time. And those but, roles are going to change going into the future, obviously. But like, and it's also not that he wasn't as confident and commanding in person though as a touring or playing entity. Sure. Uh, so he was still. Uh, he didn't end up touring. Yeah, he was like more. Right after John was much more of a records kind of guy, a studio kind of guy, the same way that Brian was, um, Brian yeah. Wilson. Um, and Lou is, you know, he's a like we've talked about. He's a rock and roll guy. He's a pop guy. He likes to get up on stage, play guitar show. Um, you know that that's more the world that he lives in. Yeah, apparently a big influence on the record was um, Procol Harum's uh, orchestral live album. Uh, it was live at Edmonton. And uh, he was really impressed with how it sounded. And he actually got the producer of that to do this album. Hmm. Fun know. fact. You learn something new every day. Um, Andalusia. said on I think the first episode about vintage violence that John Cale is capable of writing some of the best love songs and uh, like uh, here's another one another one God, this one you. this one's so good so good this is a what more is there to say type of one I think just like the moment you hear that first kind of like what the first three seconds yeah uh, it's just like I'm in it's and the the vocal take on this also like so kind of like it, it's so restrained I think but in in like a really effective way like a, you, you feel like he could kind of go over the top on something like this and he just he keeps it so cool so calm so kind of like close to the vest um, and as emotional I think uh, this is probably the most kind of emotional or like nakedly. Um, uh, love motivated song on the record probably um, and just the way that he does it I don't know it, it, there's something about it that just like it gets in my ear every time so simple it's, yeah it's beautiful in a year and a day to be sure that your face doesn't alter your words never falter I love you oh, <laughs> Jesus <laughs> you make me cry god damn it's, All right. It's pretty Next good. song. I can't. I can't say anything about it. It's too. It's too pretty. Yeah. Oh man, this song just like uh, makes you blush. Castles and Christians, Andalusia, come to stand. 
I gotta go to Andalusia one day. I guess maybe I've been to Andalusia yeah. before. It's Madrid in Andalusia. It's like the south cool. of Spain. Uh, Andalusia, Andalu. Uh, I know that it's oh, where Granada gazpacho there. is from. I've been to Granada. It's where they have gazpacho. Yeah, yeah. gazpacho. You know, never been a big gazpacho guy. No, I love gazpacho. Never like the cold soups thing. Hey, you know you haven't had my gazpacho, Ian. Do you make gazpacho? I make a proper Andalusian gazpacho. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you know you gotta put a little bread in it, well, and you, sure. then you gotta and then you gotta put it through a, a strainer. You gotta si- like sieve it out really. And make fine. it really smooth. Yeah, you put it through like a food mill sort of thing and uh, get yeah. all the chunks out. I get it. I, right. Listen, I've been to Granada, but uh, it's just the, I, the the concept of cold soup is just it has never computed in my Did brain. Did she swallow? What? Macbeth is next. <laughs> We're, okay, this is one that I just didn't know that well. We're um, rocking on, on Macbeth. We're finally rocking. We got Rock and John. I love that. that, that those that keys that are so great. Yeah, it's fucking... Sick. And that guitar. It yeah. sounds like it sounds like Spirit in the Sky. It does kind of sound like Spirit in the Sky. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It's so funny. Uh, I'm gonna steal. I'm gonna steal a line from Michael uh, on this one, uh, and, huh. and just oh, say, I, "Yeah, I love. I love. I rock love rock songs. songs. <laughs> I love rock songs too. That's a, Damn. That's an all time line. <laughs> well, it's it's yeah, it's a total all timer. That's a great line, you know, because it's so true. You know, I love rock. Sometimes songs. Sometimes you're listening to rock songs and you just think to yourself. Damn, I love rock songs. Yeah, I love this one. Oh, yeah, I listen to Macbeth. I love it. It's great. Uh, He's Um, quoting a series of different Shakespeare uh, 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 references here, right? There's uh, Macbeth, obviously. Uh, He's also referencing Banquo from... uh, um, Isn't Banquo from... Is he in Macbeth? I thought Banquo was from Hamlet. I don't remember. Okay. Uh, No, he is from Macbeth. All right, sorry. So it's just Macbeth. Um. I don't really know what this has to do with uh, the the play itself, but you know, it's all right now, baby. That's you right. don't have to. You don't have to know because it's a because it's a rock, rock, song. rock song. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. you can just say I love rock songs. You know, this seems like a good opportunity to redo a, a little bit of an anecdote, a fun rock rock and roll type anecdote. Lay it on me. Toward, toward the end of the Paris 1919 sessions, with much of the work done and the results pleasing, uh, Kale began to indulge himself a little more. On one occasion, coming out of the Japanese restaurant underneath the Chateau Marmont, where Chris Thomas was oh, staying, man. he and Thomas waited for their dinner guests to emerge. Thomas sat on the bonnet of Kale's Shelby Mustang, and Kale began driving him slowly round the car park. Before Thomas knew what was happening, they were out on Sunset Boulevard and Kale was accelerating fast with his producer grimly holding on to the bonnet vents. After a mile, Kale turned the car around and drove him back again. Thomas was convinced he was going to die. Uh, By the next day, he had pulled himself together enough to make a furious phone call to Kale, shouting at him, Do you realize you could have killed me? Do you realize I could have lost my license, Kale replied? <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, I love that. Damn, John Kale at the Chateau here's a, Marmont. Here's another one. 
on another occasion, Kale drove Thomas to Santa Monica in roughly eight minutes, a journey that Thomas remembers as seriously terrifying Incredible. and probably impossible, even if you go by spaceship. Good God. Despite this, Kale was unsatisfied with the Mustang and wanted something faster. Still new to driving, another worrying habit of his was to keep the car in second gear most of the time. Incredible. One night, with the recording very nearly complete, Thomas brought two bottles of champagne into the studio with the idea of sharing them with Kale at the end of the session. Growing bored, Kale drank them both himself and started to attack <laughs> Thomas underneath the table, biting his legs. <laughs> Kale then announced his intentions of going out for a six-pack and disappeared. The next time Thomas heard from him, it was when Kale phoned him from the local jail three hours later, having been stopped for, drink, tr for drunk driving. Hell yeah. Kale had accelerated hard away from a stop sign on a wet road and attracted the attention of a member of the California Highway Patrol. He asked Thomas to get him a bail bondsman, but the ex-Velvet Underground road manager, Phil, uh, Phil Shear, who was in engineering the session, shouted out, leave him there. Beautiful. There's more to this story, but I mean... I love rock songs, and I love behavior like that. John Cale in the Mustang, just like levitating six inches off the ground on cocaine, drunk out of his mind, making Paris the, uh, 1919, eating Japanese food. Like this is <laughs> like I'm just like I, I'm I'm getting giddy just thinking about yeah, this. 1973, driving to Santa Monica from ostensibly the Chateau, I guess the Chateau in eight Marmont. minutes. Jesus Christ! Yeah, down that <laughs> fucking like twisty ass stretch of sunset. Oh my god! Yeah, just incredible stuff. <sighs> Uh, Paris 1919, title track. This song is wild, man. Just imagine the guy who, who acts and behaves that way making this. Making this song. just like this one is just like so huge it's just like it's it's just like a perfect it's perfect I it's to a disappointed proud man in his grief <sighs> and on friday she'd be there but on mondays, mondays not, not at, at all, all. just and casually appearing from the clock across the hall See, he calls it the continent in this one. Okay. The continent's right. just fallen in disgrace. William, William, William Rogers. But yeah, it's so William, good. William, William. I fucking love that line. Uh, all, that sounds like Marky Smith. 
Um, I see a little bit of that. Lyrics. Yeah. I, I, this is also to say that I think this is better than um, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Oh, no question. I mean, Sergeant Pepper's this is whole, like not even in the top is, five Beatles records. No, I mean, a lot of people listening to this are scandalized. I mean, it's the truth. Some people really disagree with Sergeant Pepper's mid on this show mid as on this hell. program it, this is this is better than that um just this record is better than that one of course sorry no question but especially this song it's like okay like i get that sergeant peppers uh, is sort of an example it's it took it's the sound of four or five guys trying to do what this guy can do while he's fucking blackout drunk just like a belly full of tonkatsu and like <laughs> like two bottles of champagne driving his mustang <laughs> yeah he gets arrested and then you're like oh, i can't believe it the record's ruined then like five minutes later somehow he like breaks the door down in his back with like sunglasses on and uh just makes another incredible uh, chamber pop Just like all time song. God The number of la la la's in this song, like I don't, la, 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 I don't know that I've ever been as emotionally affected hearing someone sing la 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 as I <laughs> any time yeah. I turn on Paris nineteen ninety. Like, ha. Ah. He he knows. God damn. Uh, he knows. I hadn't listened to this record in a really long is. time, and like I came back to it. I, I listened to it like once or twice a while ago when we first decided that we were gonna do this, um, and mm-hmm. then you know more recently, obviously, been really coming back to it, and it's just like it's just as. It's just as wild to me today as it was 12, 13 years ago. Like, it's like this is one that's just all time for me. And I know, like, this is probably his most well known song. I know that's basic or whatever, but like, it fucking rocks. There's no question. It just rocks. And at the end, when he comes in against himself on the chorus and they just kind of repeat and build, oh man. I love when that happens in a song. The collision moment. It's so good. Efficiency, efficiency, they say. Get to know the date and tell the time of day as the crowds begin complaining how the Beaujolais is raining down on darkened meetings on the Champs-Élysées. It's like chills down my spine every time I hear it. And it's four minutes. This is a fucking K-Rock song. It's one of those moments where I'm like, hell yeah, man. I know what that is like. Yeah. I know what I know what it's like to be. I know what you're talking. Oh, hey, is it a full moon tonight? Uh, I think it's getting close. I don't think it's there quite oh, yet. I'm I'm seeing it peek up uh, above the hedges 
right now. Mm -hmm. You know I'm going to move, right? Yeah, this is it was one of the last uh, episodes recorded at uh, the dog pad, right? The, yeah, <laughs> the dog patch. Uh, I don't think that there's going to be dogs at the other one. I didn't. No pets at to. the apartment. No, I'm I'm moving to uh, I'm moving to Silver Lake. Sunset Boulevard. A, a very long distance from Echo Park to Silver Lake. <laughs> it's a long, it's a long way. Long travel one, down Echo Park but, or down uh, Sunset Boulevard. It might even be two miles. <laughs> Shit. Well, um, hopefully your Wi-Fi is good there. Yeah. Wow, the moon looks beautiful right now mm. in Los Angeles, California. I'm sure above the Chateau Marmont, it looks uh, stunning at this very moment. I bet you're right. The sky is kind of a purplish hue and you've got a big yellow moon. How about that? Mm. Love it. Graham Green. You're having tea with Graham Green. What's up with Graham Green? Do you know the work of author Graham Green? I mean, I'm aware of Graham Green. Um, I don't know that I've read. Graham Greene, uh, too much. He's one of those kind of oldsters, you know, that uh, has got a lot of uh, a lot of cultural whatever reputation. It's for probably for great reason. It's just not something that I've ever uh, ever really gotten into. Um, I am aware of the Third Man, which is a great movie. And Wait, is he? Is it written by Graham Greene? Well, that was it. Was the book. He wrote the third man, the book, and then yeah, yeah, uh, well, and then it was adapted into the third man uh, rocks. Great motion so picture. So good. Speaking starring, of Weimar Germany, well, post post Weimar, the third man is you know post war Germany. Post post war. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's the I guess yeah yeah post, but it's uh you know it's that kind of like gotta love spooky gotta love the post war, but it's pre World War Two, right? No, it's post World War Two. No, the third man is not. I'm very certain that it is. No. Holly, the first line of the plot uh, description on Wikipedia, Holly Martins, an American author of Western fiction, arrives in post-Second World War Vienna, seeking his childhood oh. friend Harry Lyme, who's offered him whatever, a job. Whatever the fuck. No. But, I thought it was, like, earlier. But, like, honestly, sort of a similar sort of thing, right? So Paris 1919, post-Great War, right? Vienna 1940X, post-Second World War. It's a, it's a very similar kind of cultural uh, world. Uh, I think. Yeah, so Weimar Germany was like fucking cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Yeah, it's like the twenties, you know, cabaret kind of stuff. But um, it's 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 the same sort of um, uh, mental uh, and spiritual kind of uh, angst and uh, um, uh, just kind of blown apart world that these people inhabit. So, and I think that's probably why there's a song called Graham Green on here is because uh, the works of Green. Uh, kind of explored this whole kind of mental and emotional landscape, uh, mm. whether it was post World War One, post World War Two. But it, the Zither score on the Third Man—that's older music than World War Two. I guess so. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's Zither so it's, seems like a very old kind of uh, instrument. Is it? Is, is that the instrument? It I'm is. Such it a is a yes. <laughs> It is a Zither. Okay. Uh, yeah, Zither class of stringed instruments. Uh, da, yeah. Da, da, da. Yeah, right. Yeah, they came. Yeah, they they when were using they were using zithers in China in 433 BC. It says so. Okay. Yes, that's so, pretty old. You know, 
It's like, uh, it, it, it is, I think you're right, that the third man is kind of making those sort of... Um, I think what's so effective about the zither in the third man is like the kind of, um, the, 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 tone the of contrast it. between this, yeah. this like spooky feeling yeah, that you're getting on the screen and then this like almost kind of like corny or like uh, jokey kind of music that you get with the zither. Yeah, um, I, I think uh, Will Sloan on his uh, Important Cinema Club podcast, I seem to recall, talking about the third man. It might have been on Michael and Us. It was Michael and Us, I think, actually. Yeah, it seems um, Third Man seems more like a Michael and Us. It was a Michael uh, and Us movie. episode. Yeah, a great, great podcast. A friend of the show, Wilson. Uh, uh, it was, uh, I think, saying like uh, it, that. This that score kind of goes, "Aw shucks!" Like, what are you gonna do about yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. And that's what makes it so iconic. Um, anyways, Graham Greene, the song, so like. Kind of like if there's a letdown on this record for me, it's it's this song. You know what this song kind of is the closest to. Mm. Um, it kind of has this feeling like of a certain character maybe being sort of okay on the islands. All right, you know? it has say, a kind of island feeling. I don't feel. Like, wouldn't we say it has yeah. an island feeling? The, no, it has those funny parts where listen when he's like cartoony like island vibes yeah like, it's like, maybe more just like mushroom kingdom kind of energy <laughs> you know what actually you're right it's just it's actually just regular mario it's just super mario it's 64 not super, <laughs> it's not super mario sunshine it's a little bit just regular mario you're right. yeah it is it is sort of there is sort of like a like a jokey element to it i think and but especially that, coming after night after the title track which is just such a soaring <laughs> striking like you know all-timer this one is just sort of like all right we're kind of we're, we're clearing the palette for the last couple songs on this record yeah, Mr. Enoch Powell is a... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, the civil servant Carruthers making the others worser than most. Like, just the, the kind of, like, Kale using the word worser in this yeah. context on this record. It's just, like, it, it's it's clearly supposed to be sort of a, you know, crack and a grin kind of line. Yeah, it's like uh, the coupe de gras. Yeah, from, exactly. Uh, uh, showbiz kiss. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things ever. <laughs> and for the coupe de crowd. It's <laughs> uh, a good line. Uh, half past France, baby. Uh. You were having some sort of uh, like sort of third eye experience listening to this song yesterday, weren't you? I was on medically. Uh, uh, don't feel like you need on, to go into it. Well, I could. I, I don't need to go into it um, much, except to say that I was on uh, medical grade ketamine. <laughs> so, yeah, all right, so you are going a hundred percent into it. Well, you know, it's medicine. Sure, Ian. of course. And it was in a medical setting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm going to keep doing that, but you know, I did it yesterday. Yeah, you know, have a just get your kicks while you're young. You just got to get. Yeah, that's exactly why I was there. <laughs> Uh, it, it's, it's a good song to listen to in that context. The first line, you know, like, I guess I'm glad to be on this train. <laughs> I love that. That's one of my favorite lines on the record. Listen, this is a, this is a, a vehemently pro locomotives and railroads podcast here. So any sort of, uh, any sort of song where you're getting to be on a train from the beginning, that's going to be a plus in our book. Well, I, I suppose I'm glad I'm on this train. That's such a good line. Yeah. I mean, anyway, slice it. Um, but this is a, a point on the record. With this song, I don't. I wonder. You know, I said something earlier about like this. This record at various points has stuff that reminds me of a certain other very important artist. 
Do you know who I'm talking about? The songwriting of somebody, somebody else you and I both really like. Mm, Dan Behar? No, earlier. Bob Dylan. No, later. <laughs> Just after this, somebody John Cale will work with pretty short, very soon after this. Oh, you know? This song sounds exactly like something on Taking Tiger Mountain or Here Come the Warm Jets. Sure. To a degree that is like, oh, that's where Brian Eno got that. Right. And both of those records came out after this. It really has that sound. If you just imagine plugging in Eno's voice to Eno's uh, earlier stuff that is, you know, post-Roxy music, his early solo stuff, like... This has such a strong resemblance that it's really like illuminating to me anyway. Yeah. I don't I don't think there's any world where you know got that from another guy. Sure. It's from John Cale. Yeah, I, I think that the uh the the pop uh you know records definitely were informed by directly informed by like violence and this and fear. And uh, obviously everything else that Eno did in his career was informed by everything else that Cale did. Um this one is just such a great, like... It's like an epic, yeah. but it, it's only four minutes. And again, exactly, that's what I minutes. said. It's like all of these songs feel so huge. Like, they take up so much time and space and energy, and yet they just, like, they, they're in and out. Um, I just love the phrase, half past France. It's just yeah. fucking, like, it just makes me grin when I hear him say that. Um, I, I just think the song's really pretty. So beautiful, it's, yeah. It's just, like, kind of about, like, being... Um, I don't know, it's sort of like losing your sense of self while on some kind of a, a journey, and it's unclear where he is. He's somewhere in Europe. Somewhere between and Dunkirk and Paris. Yeah. We're some so far France. away. We're so far away floating in this bay. Like, ev- not even just the sound of it, but the lyrics are like classic, you know, lyricism. It's so close to that shit. I can't even believe it i suppose i'm glad i'm on this train and it's long somewhere between dunkirk and paris most people here are still asleep but i'm awake looking out from here yeah and there's just like you really get a sense i think for the narrator in this one is like clearly this just kind of like lost soul shit kicker like bumming around europe at this moment in time and all these references that you get to get to all these different uh places right somewhere between dunkirk and paris uh things are much different here than norway not so cold wonder when we'll be in dundee back in berlin back in berlin they're all well fed i don't care people always bored me anyway (laughs) it's just like this is clearly like such a loathsome just like piece of shit guy and i see 100 percent of myself in him like this was exactly who i was in uh 2014 (laughs) when i was on a train in europe just like zipping around Here's an interesting uh, quote from this book I have. In interviews, Kale mentioned discussions he and Lou Reed had recently had to reform the Velvet Underground. In September, 
Reed's Berlin album was released, on the track Men of Good Fortune, the narrator would profess not to care about money or its absence. On Half Past France from Paris 1919, Kale had already written Back in Berlin, they're all well fed. I don't care. People always bore me anyway. There you go. Yeah, somehow it like literally just took until like this week because Paris is our free episode this week and coming next is Berlin. It literally just took me until this week to realize like, oh shit. This they, one's Berlin. Yeah, Kale, Kale put out Paris in 73 and Lou put out Berlin in 73. Like yeah. these two motherfuckers were like literally on neck such a neck. psychic like just like level of like fusion throughout their entire life. Like I love it. It's so great. Yeah. It, 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 I didn't even think about that. Yeah. But it's like the Europe one. Yeah, the Europe. They both the, put out the, the Europe, Europe year. One. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and they yeah. do it in very different ways. It should be noted. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll maybe we'll we'll expound upon that a little bit in our next episode. Subscribe on Patreon. Um, should we bring it home? Antarctica starts here. Speaking of Sunset Boulevard, mm. my future residence, uh, that's what this song is about. It's about the movie Sunset Boulevard. Uh, is it? Check out the lyrics. Paranoid yeah. great movie queen sits idly fully armed, the powder and mascara there, a warning light for charm. We see her every movie night, the strong against the weak. The lines come out and struggle with the empty voice that speaks. Eh, all right. Her heart is so tired now of kindness gone by like broken glass. In a drain, gone down, but not well sent. Spent. All right, I see this. The vanity, insanity, her hungry heart forgave. The fading bride's dull beauty glows, just begging to be seen beneath the magic lights that reach from Barbary to here. All right, all right. Her schoolhouse mind has windows now where handsome creatures come to watch. The anesthetic wearing off. Antarctica starts here. Another amazing title. I just got chills. What a great. Poet. What the hell does that mean? Antarctica, Antarctica starts, starts here. here. Oh, I, I mean, I, the anesthetic wearing off Antarctica starts here. It's like the eternal cold. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm not looking for an answer necessarily. It's just, it's like, I, I love... I, that's what, to me, it's just like, it feels like a kind of uh, foreboding thing. I mean, it's a great way to end this record. Yeah, so much to chew on it at the very end of this. I love when a record by an artist who you and you know ends up kind of going like pretty ham has like an early record where like the there's a, a song that kind of, like the end like at the end of a um, climate of hunter by Scott Walker there's like this very quiet simple blues featuring Mark Knopfler oh. and it uh it's very simple and it's the last thing you hear until uh tilt comes out those moments are so great just it, you you know we we sort of were talking about how there's that uh dramatic contrast between like the last thing you heard uh kale do with the velvet underground and then his first utterance as a solo artist right with yeah, yeah, yeah. violence and um this is a another sort of example another of that such where, moment in time of course the last this is the last thing you'll hear from john until you hear Fear is a man's best friend. Boy, yeah, that's quite. Antarctica a, <laughs> truly does start here. That's quite a. That's quite a. Uh, a, a switch flip. Yeah. 
So it's so it's, unsettling. It's the best. It's the best. Uh, it's so good when you know that. I mean, just that last moment into just let it just follow through. Just listen to fears. A man's best friend after that. Like that's. That's the stuff. That's the good you know, stuff. I don't folks. I don't even. That's it. That's no. like what. That's why I like music. <laughs> That's why I like albums, I should say. There you go. Like yeah. Albums. There's nothing like an album. Nothing like a good album. It's an, it's a there's nothing like one, you know. You got to love it. You put nine songs on two sides of a record. That's mm, that's what I'm talking about. I love to hear that. Uh, What's on the back of this um album cover? Uh that's a good question. I don't know that I have ever seen it. Uh if I google Paris 1919 back cover uh, it looks like it's I wonder just, if I can it's just text. Oh, what does it say? Uh John Cale works for Warner Brothers Records now. Uh <laughs> I love it. That's what it says. Yeah, there's a quote. Uh, John Cale I love works it. for Warner Brothers. <laughs> I get up in the morning and go to work, he says. But he didn't always. He wrote and produced two exemplary rock-oriented albums for Columbia, Vintage Violence and Church of Anthrax, arranged and produced albums by Nico and by the Stooges, and one time long ago he and Lou Reed merged to form the Velvet Underground. Long ago. Long, long ago. Long, long ago. Oh, this is fun, actually. There's, there's like a whole little like story about John here with a bunch of different, um, a different sec- a couple different sections. Uh, if in this sense the Academy in Peril would be judged classical music, Paris 1919 would be judged rock. There are nine songs all based upon rock rhythms as defined by Richie Hayward and Lowell George, drummer and guitarist of Little Feet. There are vocals on every song done by John under the guidance of producer Chris Thomas uh, and augmented by string backgrounds done by members of UCLA's Symphony Orchestra. Paris 1919 is John Cale's furthest excursion into musical imagination, illuminating horizons heretofore unsighted. What more is there to say? What more is there to say beyond... The Warner Brothers Records A and R people <laughs> in yeah, 1973. No, they, they did. They did a great job. They did a crackerjack job. They sure did. Um, three stars. Three stars. Jokerman. Makes me so unsure of myself Standing there and never ever talking sense Just 
Efficiency, they say. 